Good afternoon and welcome to this episode of the Duval Dems podcast. I'm Jennifer Cowart. I'm the first vice chair of the Duval Dems uh, this year. Joining us today, we have two guests talking about uh, a recent topic in the news, which is JEA. Lisa King, can you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Lisa King. I'm a former chair of the Duval County Democratic Party. Um, I also um, had a PAC called the Florida Committee for Infrastructure Investment that was heavily against JEA and advertised um, tying Mayor Curry to this effort to sell JEA. Um, Those efforts were funded by local unions who were kind of caught short uh, when this all when this whole thing was proposed, and uh, I worked in concert with them uh, to make sure that the public was aware of of this effort. And this was back in 2018. Perfect, thank you. And our other Lisa today, Lisa Weatherby. Thank you for joining. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, um, my name is Lisa Strange Weatherby. I was um, JEA board member, JEA vice chair, and then elected uh, JEA. JEA board chair. Um, And in 2015, when the mayor came in and decided to expunge uh, all the Democrats off of the boards, um, I was one of the ones who did battle with him in the media for about three weeks. Perfect. Well, we're so happy to have both of you here. Uh, Just a reminder, you can find this podcast and all our podcasts on any of your podcast streaming platforms. So Lisa and Lisa, you mentioned that this goes back to to 2018 and maybe even before. We're seeing former JEA CEO Aaron Zahn in the news right now. He is facing federal indictment. He has pleaded not guilty uh, to charges relating to wire fraud and other other charges relating to the failed sale of the JEA uh, uh, utility. And, and you mentioned this goes back quite a ways. So can you take us back to 2018? What was happening then? How did this even come up? Why were we thinking about selling JEA? And who started all this? Well, one could argue that this goes back even earlier, and this frankly goes back to 2014, and that is when when Lenny Curry decided to run for mayor, because I went back through his PAC records uh, to seeing, just curiosity, to see if uh, Florida Power and Light, FPL, or Nextera had ever given any contributions to Lenny Curry. Um they had, and this I don't think has ever been reported before because they have probably 200 um, uh, different organizations that they've incorporated. And how you can track them is they're always at the same address. All right. So they're at 700 Universe Boulevard, Juno Beach, Florida. So he had a $2,000 contribution in, 24, in early 2014. Um, from a company called Florida T- Telecommunications STR, which I can find no listing for in SunBiz, which is also very curious. Um, and so one could make the argument that this goes back to the very beginning of his candidacy. Also, his number one contributor, Tom Petway, was the one who publicly started the ball rolling in 2017. Now, Tom was one of the ones who was appointed after the 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 board as it stood in 2015, as uh, people like Lisa were asked to resign. And um, and so as he was leaving the board in 2017, 
he used the word privatization for the first time. So Lisa could probably speak to, in general, this, this kind of the status of, of uh, JEA, because part of the, the rationale for the sale was that we were going to go into this death spiral where it was not a well-run utility, that it was not preparing for the future. And Lisa can speak to how, frankly, that was a lie. Well, yes, it was a lie. And um, actually in 2012, when Matt Schellenberg wanted to explore the sale of JEA, and my understanding is he has since changed his stance on that. But um, because of his request, we had a meeting with Florida Power and Light, um, a couple of other utilities, but basically Florida Power and Light um, was on the agenda. The um, um, As I recall, they were the only utility to have someone speak in favor of um, the sale of JEA, for obvious reasons. So this was in 2012. And uh, I was there with Paul McElroy, and um, I have the whole list of, of, of who attended. But uh, it was clear then that FPL was very much wanting to buy JEA and that they were semi-viewed as the lead candidate even then. Well, and Lisa, isn't that because in terms of their service area, JEA's territory is like a big, what they call it, the donut hole? Well, really, I think it's because, <clears throat> excuse me, um, um, FBNL has always been a major contributor to Republican politics way back before 2014. And... Um, I think the Republicans, you know, had their reasons that they wanted, uh, you know, cash for Lenny to spend on, you know, whatever his projects were at the time. Um, and then it turned into this uh, crazy thing with the PUP plan where certain higher level employees were going to make multi-millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So if I'm hearing right, in 2012, there were some conversations about selling JEA then, and FPNL was uh, at the forefront of, of a group that might potentially be interested in buying JEA. And then in 2014, Lenny Curry is elected, and he's getting large donations from groups associated with FPNL or with Next Era, at least by their addresses. Um, so now fast forward us to, you said 2017, 2018 is when a lot of this is really getting kicked off. So um, what were the moves happening at that time with Lenny Curry? And, and when does Aaron Zahn come into play? Well, um, 2017, I think November of 2017 is when Petway left the board and made the, the privatization announcement. So the first thing they did was uh, they moved to do a valuation study of JEA and they did their best to, they didn't use normal channels to procure the consultant to do the study. So it was kind of, it wasn't, people really weren't aware it was happening. Now, when Petway made, said what he said, people took it as the alarm being sounded. I got calls at that same, around that same time as when I was elected chair of the Duval Democrats. And I got many, many calls from people like Lisa, like Bobby Stein, who were just like sounding the alarm going, 
here we go. This is going to be a problem. This is coming. So the valuation, the valuation happened. It was like a rocket, right? So again, if anybody who works with government and government procurement, which I do professionally, it usually doesn't happen fast. So the fact that this all happened really fast is of in of itself very suspect, that there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes to get things ready. It wasn't the first time anybody thought about doing this when Tom Petway said this in November. Um, and so the study was available, Lisa, help me, early February, and the mayor wanted Rather than to have it opened at the JEA board meeting, he wanted to have one meeting with the JEA board and with the city council to the study to be opened and read and discussed. Now, let's just remind everyone that that Curry likes to play, have both sides, try to play both ways on this thing. He'll try to say, oh, it wasn't me. It's the JEA board. Well, if it's the JEA board, why are you involved, right? Why are you saying we should open this all study together and read the study together? You can't have it both ways, dude. So he asked for this for this meeting. And at the time, the city council president was Anna Brochet. And she said no, because frankly, she was thought all this was suspicious and un, was very uncomfortable with it and felt like it was moving too fast. And so the mayor actually has the authority with enough council people signing on to call a meeting of council without the council president's uh, approval. And Lisa and I were at that meeting and that was on February 14th, 2018. And it was a very memorable meeting because it was a, it was a special meeting in the afternoon. It was a packed house. JEA employees all showed up with red shirts and, and we, and we picked that color because it was red for stop. And also because it was Valentine's day and they had placards made with a heart with JEA's is ours. JEA is not for sale. And that became kind of our tagline for this whole thing. And even though the mayor had called the meeting, the president of the city council still had to chair it. And so I think, was it Paul McElroy was talking or someone was talking and they tried to introduce the mayor and Anna basically said, I'm not going to recognize the mayor. And that became a whole big thing that she yeah. disrespected the mayor, even though the mayor disrespected her because she said, no, you're not going to call my counsel in the meeting. I don't think it's timely. And they did it anyway. Well, and respect is earned. Um, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I briefed yeah. Anna quite a bit on what had happened in 2015 um, when, of course, you're well aware of what happened because you were chairing, I think, the pl planning commission. Yeah. And um, when Lenny's Curry's minions would call me up and want me to meet with the mayor, um, they did not want to do it in the sunshine. They, uh, I could not take my lawyer. I couldn't take my cat. But he wanted to have all of his lawyers and all his minions there. And my attorney, Bill Shepard, said no. I mean, I said no to Bill and Bill said no to them that we were not going to meet in the dark and we weren't playing that game. And so then they said that I was just um, not cooperative or not thinking of the same goals they were or whatever and, and wanted me to resign. Oh, so, you don't have a shared vision. That's yeah, what they like to call that's, it. That's what the line I got. I don't have a shared vision. And this was my answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Lisa no. Weatherby, remind us then, how long did you serve on the board? Um, three years and nine months, three months short of my fourth four-year term. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of unprecedented for someone to come along, a mayor to come along and just wash everybody off before the end of their term. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm of the mind, you know, I was part of that, that purge also. I was um, chair of the planning commission. I was in my second term. I had just been elected chair of the planning commission by my colleagues. Um, I don't think the mayor really cared that I was on the planning commission. I don't think he cared who was on the airport authority. I think he only cared about JEA but they were smart enough to know that they only purged JEA and they didn't purge the rest of these boards that people would be suspicious. So really there are a lot of people who feel very strongly that this was a multi-year plan. This has been a plan for the entire part of this, uh, for this administration. And no doubt. And we slowed it down in 2018. And then we warned people that it was going to come back if he got reelected and they didn't listen to us and guess what happened. So you asked about Aaron Zahn. Aaron Zahn was appointed to the board in March or February, February, end of February of 2018. Right. So. And what were and, his qualifications before he was appointed? Well, not, not, not only bad, bad qualifications. <laughs> he had run a very small, he had a, you know, had, he had a degree, he had a, a Ivy League education, but it was in like philosophy. He had been like a hedge fund guy, a finance guy. He had at one point run a small um, utility that was, it wasn't really a utility. It was a company that did kind of new technology to try to make small utilities more efficient. He was not there very long. After the fact, we find out that he left under bad terms. His the, the folks that the, the communities that he served did not particularly like him or his product. Um, so there were a lot of issues about so, but nobody, frankly, had really ever heard of the guy. But if you look at Lenny Curry's PAC report from early in his candidacy in 2014, guess whose name is on there? Aaron Zahn is on there. And so you know, his relationship with the mayor. Now, for what we also heard was when he was also, when he was still in running that company, he was trying to get JEA to buy his product and because of their water utility. And he, and they didn't want to buy it. My guess is they did their homework and they found out all these unsatisfied customers and said no. So in the interim, he basically was unemployed. And so he was, uh, put on the JEA board in February, and in April, Paul McElroy resigned. So, Lisa, can you share about that? Because I know you have a strong personal relationship with Paul. Um, well, um, that was also part of the setup. It was some of the most egregious behavior I've ever witnessed. Um, Lenny Curry basically had told people that if Paul McElroy thought his life was hell, then just wait and if he didn't resign. So, um, and from the horse's mouth. So um, again, it was, you know, it was really just horrific. And um, so, you know, we all stood up for him, but at that point we were off the board and um, 
there wasn't a whole lot we could do, but Paul resigned under extreme duress, extreme duress. And then initially, Melissa Dykes was going to be the interim CEO, correct? And you know right. Melissa as well. And yeah. she, had been at the, she had been at JEA for a number of years and was yeah. well-regarded as someone who was in a position to step in if Paul left for whatever reason. And that was kind of, she was, the perception was she had been groomed to be right. in, in a position to be able to be CEO. Right. So, but, but she was only CEO, interim CEO for what? A week, a few, two weeks? Yeah, a week or two. Um, and she was an astonishing candidate. When we hired her um, and went through the interviews, she was amazing. But my opinion, and I think the facts bear this out, is she got um, on the wrong track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously, as, as, as things played out. But we all kind of assumed that she would continue and that perhaps she was okay with the sale proposal because she was she wasn't leaving too like Paul was leaving but yet somehow that wasn't good enough and suddenly all of a sudden Aaron Zahn resigns from the board that he's been on for 45 days <laughs> and is now it puts his name in the hat to be the interim CEO imagine that imagine that where did he get that idea Hmm. I don't know. Now, if, if you read, if you read Brian Hughes's um, deposition when he was asked by the city council special committee on his, it's Brian Hughes does not say it, it basically that it was a surprise to them that Aaron Zahn wanted to be interim CEO. And they remind were our like, audience who is Brian Hughes. Brian Hughes. Brian Hughes, from a timing standpoint, Brian Hughes has been a political consultant to the mayor. He and Tim Baker were the like kind of the the big political consultant supporters of the mayor. And a lot of people feel like they're the ones who kind of charted his path to become mayor. He had recently been appointed uh, chief of staff to the mayor in December of 2017. So again, think about timing, y'all. At that same time, his former business partner, now he sold his interest in his company to, to Tim Baker, who is the other of the, of the three amigos here, right? The right. other political consultant. Tim went on FPL's payroll. So he had them as a client. So in the same you know, if you look at kind of these players and what they're doing and where they're going, you know, I don't think a lot of this is coincidence. But if you read Brian Hughes's deposition, all of this is a coincidence. And they didn't think when they were as surprised as anybody else when Aaron Zahn said he wanted to be CEO. And they were like, OK, well, we won't stand in his way. And again, this is where they play. Oh, well, it was the JEA board's decision. Right. But. It was like within two or three days, boom, he is the interim CEO. And he had been, his first board meeting after he was appointed to JEA board was the one after the valuation study and was released on February 14th. And all they talked about was privatization. And people call that meeting, if you go back and look at the tape, the Aaron Zahn show. Because it was all about privatization and the death spiral. And I am, you know, the finance guru and I know all these things and blah, blah, blah. 
Um, this is in 2018. Still in Aaron 2018. Zahn, yeah. Aaron Zahn is now elevated from board member quickly to interim CEO. And we're talking about death spirals for the first time. We're talking about privatization. And Lisa Weatherby, you mentioned that that JEA was not in a death spiral. You were just on that board and, and had not seen anything that would have given you pause as a board member to say, wow, our finances are incredibly unsustainable. Well, right. And I did a number of um, television interviews uh, on the news. Um, and every reporter asked me, you know, is JEA in a death spiral? And I said, absolutely not. It was just, it was just totally concocted and made up and uh, really kind of infuriating because later um, the JEA's um, bond ratings were lowered by the rating agencies, which I predicted in my resignation letter to uh, the mayor. And um, um, it just, it just was absolutely made up. Gotcha. And so then um, I guess the next major step is Lenny Curry being reelected in 2019. Well, there's one before that. And that is they had to have uh, Zahn was only appointed interim CEO. And so they they did a search for a CEO and they had many very well qualified candidates who had run large utilities in other parts of the country who had, you know, training to understand utilities and utilities issues and experience yeah. running utilities. And they, the board interviewed them. One candidate, they, they, they downscored because he refused to drive through Hurricane Irma to come for the interview. The, well, other, the other candidate who was also well-qualified I believe she said something to the effect where that this whole interview process is a sham and I know what you guys are going to do. So I just really don't want to waste my time with this anymore. And so Zahn was then by the full board um, appointed permanent CEO in November of 2018. So um, and then there's, you know, there's some there's some other stuff after he's permanent CEO, the whole thing where he tries to sue over Plant Bogle and flushes a bunch of money on legal fees and 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 gets our our credit rating downgraded again which costs us money because that we're not going to fulfill our obligations okay. uh, yeah so he starts right off the box showing how he's not a great leader or manager in in terms of his decision making gotcha. but then the next thing is we are then rolling into um election season now you know, it was widely regarded that Anna Brochet was going to run for mayor. So this is the city council president that the mayor tangled with earlier in this process, who was very, very up against a very against sale. But she has not she had not filed to run for mayor. The The deadline to qualify and run for to to run for office was in January of 2019. Mayor Curry start and his PAC started advertising against Anna in December of 2018, and she was not yet a declared candidate for mayor. That had never happened in our politics before. Um, And so she, nobody saw that coming because again, never happened before. Um, And so that put her in a really kind of a a poor position to start a candidacy. Um, uh, But she did file to run and, there was one forum um, where both she and the mayor were there and they were asked about JEA. And at the time, what the mayor said was, I will not file legislation to sell the JEA. 
And unfortunately, a lot of voters fell for that wordsmithing of that statement. Because here's the thing, y'all. The mayor doesn't file legislation. City council files legislation. So technically, he 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 would be correct because he would he never files legislation. Um, but he was elected in um, March of 2019, um, and then he his new second term began on July 1st of 2019, and on July 24th, 2019, the JEA board out of nowhere votes to explore privatization. Surprise, surprise. What and, and if if you've read reporting about this, you'll see that, and this is what I what I said when when I when this happened. Again, putting putting something like this together and procuring um, all of the consultants you would need to do a sale of the scale, because it would be the largest single public utility sale in US history, okay, it would take months. There were consultants working on this unpaid, even though the board had previously taken a stance that they would no longer, that that privatization would not be pursued, okay? So Zahn had folks working off payroll, and then basically the day after JEA, that the JEA board made this move, they signed contracts. Well, if you've ever, again, done business Having a putting a contract together like that would probably take a month. So all of this was in motion um, after the mayor was reelected, waiting for this first board meeting in, as the beginning of his new term to start. And um, and and there we go, off to the races again. Well, I so, think. Oh, go ahead, Lisa. I was going to say, I I think. Um, it's worthwhile to just br- briefly revisit um, the board, uh, Lenny's board, because I sat in on the interviews in person um, for the candidates for the CEO job. Mm-hmm. And it was the biggest sham I have ever seen in my life. If anybody doubts it, they can go back and see the live stream of it. Um, it was just unbelievable. I was embarrassed for the board members because they were so negligent. They had a fiduciary responsibility to select a qualified candidate and instead they selected a clown, so. Yeah, and you know, and if you go back to Brian Hughes' deposition, they asked him, did they, did the mayors or any of his team influence the JA board's member, tell them to vote for Zahn. And he was like, no, 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 no. They did that. They made that decision. Um, you know, and and he may be not lying. Okay. But the fact is everybody who's been around knew what the mayor wanted. They knew, I mean, it just there were again too many coincidences. McElwall you know, guy comes out of nowhere, appointed to the board, McElroy resigns, he resigns, becomes interim. I mean, it just was things piling on, piling on, piling on. So um, the other thing was that even though they were very secretive in getting ready for the first go round in 2017, 2018, in 2019, they were even more secretive. They said things like, no one could talk to the city council or talk to the press. I mean, they did all these kinds of things that made it very, very difficult. So basically what was going to happen was 
they were going to come out at, of a process at the end and say, this is the, this is who we're selling it to. And this is their number. And now city council, you do an up or down vote. Now in the midst of that, you have uh, John Crescent-Benny before he left city council back in 2018, he passed legislation so that the city as a whole was going to have to vote. So there were things that that were put in place to try to make it more difficult to sell JEA. And there were a lot of unsung heroes. I mean, we haven't mentioned yet Kyle Billy, the city, city auditor. He, hero. <laughs> he was a hero in this whole thing. And again, the city auditor is appointed by the city council. And so they're somewhat more independent and isolated from influence from the mayor. And, um, and they were heroes in this whole thing. They were they were bringing they were bringing out information during the 2018 event. They were the ones who really saw through what the pup was because mm-hmm. that meeting on the 24th of July, where they made the move to privatize JEA, was at the same time where Zahn and Wanamaker proposed the the pup plan. So, which was going to be a employee incentive plan. Um, which they frankly lied to the board. They, um, and, and that's, and so everyone who's listening to this understands that is really the crux of the case against Zahn and Wanamaker. It's not the sale itself. It's the fact that they lied to their board about that plan and what its impacts would be. And that they, they lied about the death spiral to make the sale happen right so it's it, it's fraud so it's not so many other issues that we could talk about like the 20 million dollars that were wasted in this whole sale thing that frankly nobody wanted you know um so Kyle Billy was the one who saw through who asked the right questions and if there's anything Lenny Curry and his team are scared of it's people who ask hard questions and know enough to ask to know what questions to ask. And I put people like Lisa Weatherby and myself in that same category um, is they don't like questions. They just want everybody to fall in line. And, you know, folks on that board, that's where they fell down is they didn't ask hard questions. And, um, and they thought they did what, you know, the mayor wanted them to do. And that's not your job as a board member on these city boards and commissions. Just because you're appointed by the mayor doesn't mean you report to the mayor. You report to the people of Jacksonville. You have to right. do your responsibility to the people of Jacksonville. Right. And if you remember back when Alvin was mayor, Alvin Brown, um, and um, he wanted us to, and he was creative in his ideas, but he wanted the the his board the uh, mm-hmm. then to um, dedicate. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but it was in the tens of millions to the pension plan. Mm-hmm. And um, when we were up in front of the rating agencies in New York, um, the you know they they questioned us hard on that. They did not want that to happen, and we unanimously, <clears throat> excuse me, unanimously voted against it, even though you know we were appointed by that mayor who i think was wonderful but um you know they were really impressed that uh we weren't swayed by politics in terms of making a right financial decision for the utility yeah so, and, and that's that's an important point 
That it really, really is. is. So we're now now fast forward to March of 2022. Uh, Aaron Zahn is facing federal indictments um, again, related to largely, as you pointed out, the failed. Uh, payment scheme um, that was estimated to pull billions, if I recall, uh, of dollars out of this public utility and enrich only the most senior of executives, uh, really while not not providing any kind of similar payout to you know frontline workers or to ratepayers uh, who get their their utilities uh, from JEA, like myself. Um, I'm a JEA client. Um, and and various schemes related to that, as you said, down you know, overestimating the quote death spiral, um, and fraudulently uh, explaining the finances in a way that would lead uh, the board to the sale, uh, as well as I, I believe uh, there's text messages that ev- that provide evidence that uh, that the full extent of the payment scheme was not provided to the board in the meeting, and and they were given it afterwards. And as you said, the board. Um, certainly their job is to ask more questions than that. So this is kind of where we are now. We're also at a point, though, where people are asking the mayor and the mayor's office for comment relating to his involvement. And so far, um, you know, the comment that has been received definitely looks like attorneys, um, you know, have, have read this and have basically said, say nothing, which is, you know, the smart thing to do. So do you think, um, I want to ask one question, kind of looking at the future, and then I want to put a pin in FPNL and come back to them. Uh, looking ahead, you know, this thing failed, and I think my opinion of it is that it failed largely because of the greed of the payment scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think if we have a future uh, Republican mayor and Republican-led city council, could we be seeing more attempts to sell JEA in the future? Well, I think that they 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 screwed this up so spectacularly. It's like, you know, they call, what do they call it? The the third rail of American politics is you don't mess with people's social security. I think in Jacksonville, it's just you don't mess with JEA. Um, uh, You know, I think that they, they did, they screwed this up spectacularly, but it does raise the question about privatization in general, right? Because like we privatized our downtown garages and that wound up also being a spectacular failure, which we have recently had to claw back and we've lost, I don't know, like $30 million because of the scheme. So it, it raises the question. And so will you see privatization schemes from, from future Republican mayors? Yes. It may not be JEA, but it could be other things. And if, if we learn from anything from this is that we, these are public assets and we need to um, be very, very careful before we give them away for no matter how much money. Because, you know, in JEA's case, we get about $120 million a year out of from JEA into our city budget. If if we had sold JEA, yeah, we would have had this billions of dollars to do lots of lots of stuff for Jacksonville that would be nice in the short term, stuff we need to do, frankly. But we're going to still have a, over a hundred million dollar hole in our budget moving forward. So privatization in general, we should be very, very suspicious because because of that. And because the nature of it is that the folks who are in favor of privatization are in a position to give huge campaign contributions to folks and influence their decision-making, 
we should be very, very suspicious. And we should ask all, and not just Republicans, we should ask anybody running for mayor about their positions on privatization. That's a great point. I think there was a lot of concern when this was all happening that some of the other plans uh, from the mayor's office relating to Lot J and you know some of the funding that was expected to go into Lot J, that, that it seemed like they were playing with a pot of money that wasn't particularly there yet. And that privatization of JEA was one of those ways of funding some of these other, you know, other schemes that have also not really come uh, to pass. So um, I do want to come back to FPNL because we've, we've talked about them a bit. They were in 2012, the major player and potentially buying JEA turns out in 2018, 2019, they were the major player as well. Um, waiting in the wings. And, um, you know, once those records were forced to be brought into the public and into the sunshine, um, we see that it was FPL again. What else has FPL been up to um, in across the state? Because it seems like they've, uh, they've been making some news for themselves, all publicly reported. And, um, you know, it, it seems like maybe they are doing some things with their ratepayer money that I, I think their ratepayers should ask questions. So they ran what they were referred to as ghost candidates. They um, they invested money in getting people on the ballot um, to take votes away because they didn't. Basically, they were trying to prevent this Florida State Senate from becoming a Democratic run chamber because they're they're at the tipping point right now. And why? Because they're really, really concerned over the long haul about uh, consumer-owned solar arrays on their on people's homes and and net metering and having to require them to buy solar from individual consumers. That's what this is all about. That that's it in a nutshell. And so they funded um, they funded candidate consultants to fund candidates in a race in Miami and in a race in Orlando. Um, the one in Miami is the one that's getting the most press and where there's been an indictment. And that's because what they did was they found a candidate to run who had the same last name as an incumbent Democrat, who he pulled the, the, the ghost candidate who never campaigned, pulled about 3000 votes away from the Democrat and the Democrat lost by like 500 votes or something like that. In Orlando, the woman that they put in and did all this advertising for her had moved to Sweden in the middle of her campaign. Uh, yeah. And so it, it, the whole thing, it, it sounds like a movie. It sounds like a political scandal movie. It doesn't sound like this could really happen, but it did. And this was all funded by FPL, by contributions to dark money, nonprofit organizations, uh, thank you very much, Citizens United, for making this all our reality now, because all of this um, on its face is legal. And because and it's only because some of these consultants had some, were internally fighting over clients. They sent a bunch of records to the press. That's the only way we know all of this or else we'd still be in the dark about this dark money. So, yeah, it's it's a freaking mess. And, uh, you know, for anybody who cares about democracy and fair play, it, it's it's stomach turning. Um, and so that's where we are. So, yeah, 
not great folk. <laughs> great well, we, should, ethics. we should all put a, a huge plug out for supporting local media because uh, I think all of our local reporters put so mm-hmm. much uh, mm-hmm. heat on these officials and brought a lot of this scheme to light. And, uh, you know, the, the main article written by Nate Monroe at the Times um, has has won awards uh, nationally for his investigative reporting. Uh, but it won awards because it was a real piece of investigation that helped bring a lot of this to light. So we're all grateful to our reporters. Um, back to FPNL and, you know, the, the ghost candidate scandal. There was another scandal they were involved here locally relating to JEA. I believe they uh, funded a group to offer sitting city council member Garrett Dennis, who was a, an outspoken critic of the privatization attempt. Uh, and offered him a very lucrative position doing cannabis advocacy for a nonprofit if he would just step down from city council. And yeah. and that, you know, that also, um, that came to light because, as you said, some of these consultants are releasing documents, uh, but that that money actually also came through dark money groups uh, related to FPNL. So that also, you know, kind of to your point earlier about how all of these things were set in motion so early and there's a real scheme underfoot. You know, this is one of those times where we can say there really is a conspiracy here. Yeah. It's not, um, it's not a, a false conspiracy theory. There really is a, cons- a long-standing conspiracy to privatize JEA, get rid of that donut hole that existed for FPNL, and also to implement uh, state legislation to do things like uh, reducing rooftop solar, which it looks like this session they were successful in, right? Yeah. That bill passed. Yeah. Um, yeah. The And the bill sponsor was someone who, right after she introduced it, received a very large contribution from FPL. So, um, yeah. So here we are. So folks, um, yes, uh, politics impa- impacts your daily life. And <laughs> Um, you know, this is the reason why you have to show up and vote, but part of parcel of all this is, um, Republicans have run the state so long that they control all the, all the, most of the, the pieces on the board and they do that through redistricting. And we just saw all of that, um, again, um, how ugly that can be. Um, because it's just, it's really difficult for Democrats to get to them, even though we have the majority of voters in the state, um, and we generally perform Democrat or very close to performing as a blue state. We're a purple state. If you look at the makeup, the number of Democrats in the state house and the state Senate, you would think we're a bright red state. You would think we were Alabama. Okay. (laughs) Um, because the way they control redistricting. They they and so it's it no matter how well our voters show up and turn out in terms of affecting the legislature, because the way they have those boundaries drawn, it's super hard. It's super, super hard. But think if in 2018, if uh, Andrew Gillum had been elected governor and uh, there would have been somebody to call bullshit on a lot of this stuff that was happening here in 2019. Think about how that would be different. Think about if this legislation that just passed it, passed on rooftop solar happened, Andrew Gillum would, would veto it, you know? So um, even though redistricting prevents us from fully reflecting our voters, 
um, in the state house, state Senate, it wouldn't in the statewide candidates. What if we had elected Sean Shaw as our attorney general? Because people were going to the state attorney general on this on this um, JEA business and were being somewhat rebuffed. You know, I mean, she was not being helpful. And so if we had had Sean Shaw as our attorney general, it would have been a very different story. So um, all of this stuff is really important. So please, please, if you're listening to this, you're probably an engaged citizen and you probably already vote. But make sure you take five friends or 10 friends because uh, we need to do better. And we can only do that if if all of our voters are turning out and showing up. Well, and speaking of that, you know, it's 2022 in November, we have a chance to fire Ron DeSantis and be sure that in 2023, when the next legislative session is complete and there's another slate of, in my opinion, really terrible legislation heading to the governor's desk, we have a chance uh, to have a candidate sitting, a governor sitting in that desk who would veto a don't say gay bill or a, a, a quote, stop woke bill or uh, a rooftop solar bill or a 15 week abortion ban bill. And so we have that opportunity in November of 2022 to fire on DeSantis and replace him uh, with a Democrat who would veto this kind of terrible legislation. So it's, you know, in August, we'll have our primary and you can vote for the candidate of your choice in the, in the gubernatorial primary. But it would be my, my earnest plea in November of 2022 to A, come together and unite behind a Democratic candidate for governor, uh, regardless of who wins the primary. Mm -hmm. And then second, don't stop voting at the top of the ticket. Go all the way down. Don't stop at governor and Senate and and state and a congressional rep. You got to keep going because we need um, every race up and down the ballot. Every special election uh, that's on that ballot in November 2022 is is up for grabs. We need to be sure we're voting. And then don't don't forget that in Jacksonville we have our consolidated government elections in March and May of 2023. And so uh, we have to be sure that we view from now through one year and two months from now, this is basically one long campaign cycle. I know Lisa King knows that extremely well, having run for office. And so we need to be sure that we keep our eye on the prize, which is May 2023. We need to have gotten local Democrats across the finish line who will ask questions uh, when there's attempts to privatize our city and, and county resources that who will also uh, hold our elected officials and boards to account and not push through some of these uh, disastrous policies. So uh, Lisa and Lisa, I'm so grateful that y'all came to join us today and shed some light on this very murky and very unsunshiny process um, that we're very grateful that sunshine did happen and this process was stopped. JEA is ours. Uh, it was not sold. Uh, we're super grateful for that. And we're in, eager to see where these indictments lead and what other evidence is turned up uh, through this process. So with that, uh, thank you all for listening today to the Duval Dems podcast. Please check out our podcasts on all your streaming podcast platforms. We release new material on Mondays and our party meetings are also the third Monday of every month at 6 p.m. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great day. 